1 John chapter 4. We're just going to read verse 10. We're going to talk this morning about God's love. Now, in 1 John, it talks a lot about God's love. And one of the ways we know we are God's is that we love like he loved. In verse 10, it says these words. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, here this morning and thankful for your love, thankful for your answering prayers, thankful that you've promised if two or more of us would gather in the precious name of Jesus that you'd be in our midst. So we're glad you're here this morning, Father. Thank you for the Sunday we are. Thank you for the beautiful music. Thank you for being in our prayer time and offering time as we worship you. Lord, let us focus upon Jesus this morning. Let us see him high and lifted up. Let the cares of the world be removed from us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, make your word go forth in power and in truth. Lord, convict us of what we need convicted of. Confront us where we need confronted. Comfort us where we need comforted. And most of all, Lord, give us hearts to obey you this morning. Father, I especially pray for those within the sound of my voice who have never accepted Jesus Christ publicly as their personal Lord and Savior, that you would convict them about their need to do that very thing this hour. And we'll give you all the glory that is due your holy name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I don't know, maybe as a kid you played this little game. You know, you got a daisy or something and you, you pluck it. He loves me. He loves me not. You know, and, and if you're counting ahead, you're cheating because you want to see that it's going to turn out right. And so if you have to, you reach down and pick something green and then finish plucking it, right? Now, some of us have actually played that silly game, and there was two girls out playing it, and one was, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And she thought she was going to run out, so she picked a little something else, and he loves me, oh. The other said, mm. she stood there and goes, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. And the first little girl said, you're cheating. That's not right. The second one said, I'm not cheating. He loves me. I said, but you didn't. Yes, I did. You're talking about some silly boy. I'm talking about God, and there's never a time he doesn't love me. And I think that's what John is trying to get us to understand right here in this verse of Scripture. God absolutely always loves us. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you need to understand you have the love of God forever. It's in the midst of God's loving you that he sent Jesus to die on the cross in my place and your place. It's because he loves us that he chased after us with his Holy Spirit and brought us into himself. God absolutely always loves us. And so I want to see what it says about love here. The first thing I see is in the first part of this verse and I call it our defective love. Our defective love. It says, in this is love, not that we love God. You see, there's good news here. What is the good news? God loves us not because we loved him. Not because we loved him first. Not because we love him. It's just because he loves us. You see, our love is defective. 
It's usually, well, I love you if you love me, or I love you if you do this. Or There's always something a little bit jaded about it, but God's love isn't like that. Where ours is defective, his is perfect. He loves us and wants the very best for us always. Ours is self-centered. His is self-giving. But only the good news, I think this little phrase here teaches us where to find true love. Now, here's what I mean. It says, in this is love. In the Greek, it could be translated, this is where you find real love. Here is real love. Not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's what that means. Okay, It means that genuine love begins and ends with God. Do you understand that? Not only that, but genuine love... God is the source of that type of love. And without God, I don't think genuine love is possible because it's always defective by the human heart and the human condition of sin. And he gives us a comparison. He says this, he says, and this is love, not that we loved God. You see, he lays our love in comparison to God's love. He lays them side by side. He says, here in his love, not that we love God. You see, we didn't love God. We were enemies of God. That's why Romans 5, 8 tells us that God shows his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we're in the midst of sin, while we're still enemies of God, while we're apart from his kingdom and from his family, God loved us enough that he sent Jesus Christ to spread his arms and to die on the cross, not for his sins, because the Bible says he was sinless, but for our sins. That's how much God loved us. And the comparison is, not that we love God, because we didn't, but that he loved us. See, God's love is eternal. Ours is temporal. His love is pure. Ours is usually polluted. His love is successful. Ours fails often. And even though our love is defective at best, get it, God still loves us. I'm afraid some of us treat God like this. There were two guys out playing golf. They were big golfers and they see a funeral procession going by the side of the, the golf course. And one guy takes his hat off, gets down on his knee, bows his head, and says a little prayer. He gets up. And the procession has gone by. He puts his hat back on. And he goes ahead and putts. And one guy, his playing partner, said, man, I was impressed with that. You showed so much respect. That was wonderful that you would do that for a funeral procession. He said, well, it's the least I could do. We were married for 35 years. Now, what we should say, yeah, that's right. I see the lady shaking her head. That's not love, right? It's not. But that's a picture of our love compared to God's love. And too often, we want to try to be good. We want to try to say we're okay with God. We want to try to say we love God. And we just sort of tip the hat or wink the eye at him just like that. That's not love. Our love is defective at best, but God's love is pure and holy. You see, God loved us even when we didn't love him. Now, do you hear me? While we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us in our place, voluntarily, sacrificially, so that we could have eternal life. That's love. Do we understand that? Do we understand our love may be defective? And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And some of you need to come and confess that defective love and let Christ Jesus forgive you of your sins this morning. Confess Him as your Lord and Savior this very morning. Others might need to come in rededication. You've been tipping your hat a lot at God, but you haven't really surrendered to His love. The second thing, not only our defective love, notice God's perfect love. It says, not that we love God, but that He loved us. You need to let that sort of reverberate in your mind. But that he loved us is first of all a stated fact. God loves us. You can say how or why. I want to tell you why. Because he is able. The same God who spoke creation into existence is the one that sent his only son to die in our place. He is able. The same God who healed the lepers is able to love us. The same God who caused the blind to see and the deaf to hear and the mute to speak is the God who loves us. He is able to even raise folks from the dead. He is the God who is able. And what that means is he is able to love the unlovable. You may think that God is lucky to have you, but you've got it just backwards. You're lucky to have God. God loves us even when we're unlovely. God loves us when we didn't deserve it. God loves us in spite of our sins. God loves us enough to send Jesus Christ to pay the payment for our sins. See, it's a stated fact, but it's also a certain reality. In this, therein is love, or in this is love. Not that we love God, but that God loves us. Here's what that means. It speaks of God's decision regarding you and I. His decision is to love us. We cannot change his mind. He said, I love you this much. And he died in our place. We can't change his mind. His love is perfect. The psalmist says it this way. His mercy endures forever. That's love. His mercy endures forever. It's a stated fact. It's a certain reality. It sort of goes like this. There was a, a, a man and his wife, and they had five sons. They worked hard to give their boys an opportunity to succeed in life, and four of them were absolutely successful. But, oh, that youngest one. That youngest one was always in trouble. That youngest one always had problems. That youngest one got into trouble with the law again and again until he was sentenced to a, sentenced to a long prison term. It was in prison that he began to examine his life. It was in prison that he found Jesus as his Savior. And right before he was paroled, he wrote a letter to his dad. Dad, I know I have disappointed you and disillusioned you all these years. But dad, I ask you to forgive me and, and I would like to come home. If it's okay for me to come home, when I get off the bus, I'll walk around the corner and I'll be able to see our house. And if there's a, if there's a yellow ribbon tied to the mailbox, I know it's okay for me to come home. And if it's not, I'll go and get back on the bus and go somewhere else. Well, the son was so nervous, 
What, what would he see? He walked slowly off the bus towards the corner, didn't want to look up, afraid that there'd be nothing there. And when he glanced up, he couldn't believe it. There was a ribbon on the mailbox. There was a ribbon on the car. There were ribbons on the house. There were ribbons in the trees. There were ribbons on the roses. Yellow ribbons everywhere. And as he got to looking, his father was looking for him and had a yellow ribbon tied to his arm. He was so happy. He said, of course I love you, son. You're always welcome home. The point of that story is this. Those parents still love their son no matter what he did, no matter how he had failed. When you come to God and repent, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter how you failed. He will love you. When you can't... Quit rejecting God and running from God. You'll find the God of mercy and the God of love has been waiting for you. Remember the parable of the prodigal son? How how he was a long way off and the father didn't wait for him to come all the way home and scold him. He ran to him. He fell on him and kissed him. There were tears flowing. When the son went through his speech, I'm no longer worthy of God your son. He said, bring out the robe and put on him a sign of sonship. Bring out the sandals on his feet to sign that he wasn't a slave. Bring out the ring and put it upon his finger. He's my son. He was lost and now he's found. And the Bible says they had a party. That's God's perfect love. If love is perfect to save anybody here and to keep anybody here saved, His love will not give up on you. But you do need to come back to Him or come to Him for the first time. The last thing I see is the Savior's satisfying love. It says, and this is love. Not that we love God because we didn't, but that He loved us. He does. And notice, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a hard word to say. Notice, first of all, he was sent in love. Isn't that what John 3, 16 says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He was sent in love. But not only was he sent in love, he was successful in loving. He sent him to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a great big fancy word. Basically, I'm going to explain it this way. It means to cover. Okay. Specifically, it has its roots in the Old Testament sacrificial system. In the Old Testament, they went into the Holy of Holies. The high priest did once a year to the mercy seat. With the blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat for forgiveness of his sins and the whole nation's sins. And that blood would cover the mercy seat. And so God would not see their sins but would say their faith and he would forgive their sins. Now the interesting thing to me here is that's what propitiation means. Covered. We're covered by the blood of Christ. But, but you see in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 9 verse 10. The same form of this word is actually translated, not propitiation, but translated mercy seat. And what it's implying is, is that Jesus became our mercy seat. He became the covering for our sins so we could have forgiveness. He is our mercy seat. Hebrews 10, 11 and 12, the writer of Hebrews says this, And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man... 
Jesus. After he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God. His sacrifice was complete. 1 Peter 3.18 says it. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He is a propitiation for our sins. It was perfectly satisfying. In other words, our sins demanded a payment. A holy, loving God could not accept sin in his sight. We could not pay the price. Jesus paid the price for us. He secured our salvation forever. You see, that's what Jesus did. Now, to make it a little plainer, let's see. Who do I want to pick on? Ethan, you're here today. He loves me to pick on him. He'll turn bright red here in a minute. Let's say Ethan's sitting on death row. Don't do that. And it's almost time for his execution. And as he's there in his cell one day sitting, all at once he looks up and there's some guards there. And there's the judge who originally sentenced him. The judge says, open it up. He opens it up. He says, come on out of here. He's wondering what's going on. There's another guy with the judge and the judge says, get in there. They shut the thing and Ethan says, what's going on? Who is he? He's the guy who's going to stand in your place. What do you mean? Well, he's the guy that's going to die in your place. None of that, he's my son. That's what God did for us in Jesus Christ. His perfect love satisfied the demands of a holy, just, loving Father. He took our place. And therefore, we go back to He loves me, He loves me, He loves me. The little girl had it right. God loves us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? My question is very simple Have you responded to the love of God? Have you said yes? I am a sinner. Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and be the boss of your life? Have you turned your life over to him? If not, this morning you need to do that. Maybe you say, I did that a long time ago, but I've been drifting so far away. In other words, the Bible calls that in Revelation chapter 2, you have left your first love. He told the whole church that. They did all these things that were good. All these things were marvelous, but they had left their first love. Maybe you need to come back in rededication. Maybe you need to join this church. Put your life and work here. But whatever you need to do, do it because God loves you. And you want to be obedient. I'm going to pray. When I finish praying, we're going to stand. Brother Ron's going to lead the hymn of invitation. And you come as you need to come. You don't wait any longer for somebody else. You come because you need to come. Father God, this is holy time because you are here. And I ask that your Holy Spirit will have control and move among us and touch our hearts and minds and and give us the courage to come forward with what we need to do. And Father, as you do this for us, I'll praise your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.